Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond, episode number 420. We're recording on January 9th. I'm your host, Allison Sheridan, and I'm joined by Bart Bouchats from BartB.ie. Hi, Bart. Hi, Allison. I finally got the whole introduction down. That's the first time I've done it right. <laughs> I was going to say, at what point do you breathe? Yeah, I know. There's an awful lot in that first title. And now we can say this is Programming by Stealth, episode 6 of X. It is indeed episode 6 of X, although right now, this second, all the examples say it's episode 5. <laughs> okay. Well, I will fix that before this airs. No one will know but us. So, well, except now you told them. <laughs> Actually, before we get stuck in, uh, two things. Uh, well, one important thing. So... If you want to follow along and you want to get to these episodes later for reference, there is now a short link. So if you go to bartb.ie forward slash PBS, that will jump you to a page that has a list of all the episodes in order and obviously their titles and stuff. We learned so, a lot by the way we did Taming the Terminal that it was really hard to do later and now we've got it set up so it's going to work from scratch here, huh? We do indeed. The other thing is I went back through all the back episodes and inserted little audio player links so people can listen to the blog post as they read. No, listen to the podcast as they read the blog post. That works much better. Oh, perfect. Perfect. That's great. All right, and I so also made a cute icon. It is an adorable icon. <laughs> Rather pleased with that. Anyway. All right. So what are we going to talk about today? Okay, so... Last time I finally finished teasing you, or rather, last time we did enough, we finally did enough HTML that I can start to teach you about CSS. Yay! So, the concept again, so in the bad old days, the two concepts of what was on a page and how it looked were mushed together, and that was a nightmare for all sorts of reasons. Mainly it made the code very long, very difficult to change your mind on what color headings should be, because you had to go to every heading one by one and change it from one color to another. And it meant it was very hard to reuse your code. And it was generally just a terrible idea. And so the whole way through the series, I have been hammering home the point that HTML is for saying what is on a page. And we would later be getting to this magic thing called CSS or cascading style sheets, which is for saying how it should look. And so up until now, everything we have done has looked pretty darn ick. Because the <laughs> default is a white background with black text in a silly serif font. <laughs> right. So today, finally, we have done enough HTML that we can move on and introduce CSS. Yay! Now, CSS, CSS is quite complicated, so we're going to lie by omission for this episode. <laughs> okay. okay. So anyone listening who's a CSS expert is going to be saying, no, 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 it's more complicated than that. I know it's more complicated than that, and we all will too in the future, but I don't want to make people confused. So we're you know, going you to know what start. I love, by the way, is even though you said that, we're going to get those complaints. Probably, but at least I will have covered myself. <laughs> right. That's why we said oversimplified. Exactly. So this is oversimplified to get the core point across, and then we're going to incrementally add in complexity. And okay. then hopefully you're going to get to a full understanding without your head exploding. That's okay. the basic idea. Okay, so... Every, so, okay, so CSS is cascading style sheets. Some, some more housekeeping we should get in order. So in this series, we're doing HTML5, which is the fifth iteration of the HTML standard. Well, there are three iterations of the CSS standard, and the latest one is, unsurprisingly, CSS3. So okay. what we're doing here is CSS3. Now, CSS3 contains everything that was in CSS2, and CSS2 contains everything that was in CSS1. So all the updates to CSS have been additive. Oh, that's good. So, so it's not it's different. Actually, it's, it's just not more. Different. Correct. So there okay. are 
more ways of specifying what tag you want to affect and more things you can do to every tag, but nothing that you used to be able to do has vanished and nothing has spectacularly changed. So that's good. Okay. So it's just a superset. All right. So the fundamental idea is that when a browser renders an HTML tag, it has stored inside the browser's little brain a collection of style properties for that tag. So a H1 will have a whole bunch of style properties associated with it. Then you make a paragraph that has style properties, and then you make a bold bit inside the paragraph. So that has its own properties. And the final output is the grand sum of all of the various properties that apply. Now, the reason it's called cascading is because if you have a strong tag inside a P tag, the strong tag inherits all of the properties of the P tag and its own properties. So styles cascade down into the document. Okay, so let me say that one more time. So you said the the P tag, wait. Yes. So the P tag is on the outside and inside that P tag is an EM tag, say. Okay, so it knows tag. it's a paragraph and then it knows it's going to be bold or whatever, or emphasis. Yeah. Okay. So the style applied to the inside tag is the sum of its own style and the style of the tag that contains it. Okay. And that also means, of course, that the P tag also contains all the styles for the body tag because everything is inside the body tag, okay. which is useful. Right. So the styles ripple down. So if you say that every paragraph should be in Arial, well, uh, a bold tag inside that paragraph will also be in Arial. And that makes sense. I mean, imagine if you had to re-say that it should be Arial just because you had another tag inside a paragraph. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Break your head. So remember that styles cascade down deeper and deeper into the hierarchy. So, you know, a tag is contained with another tag and the styles ripple down. Now, inevitably, when you have that kind of stuff going on, so we're saying that we have these styles cascading through the document, there is going at some point in life to be some sort of conflict of interest. <laughs> I was going to ask about that. Yeah. So it is inevitable that there is going to be conflict. And how those conflicts are resolved is actually the key thing to learn about CSS. And it all revolves around a word they made up called specificity. <laughs> so the style with the greatest specificity wins. So there'll be an argument and the browser will simply calculate the specificity. Let's say there's two options for the font. It will say, well, what's the specificity of option one? Oh, it's four. What's the specificity of option two? Three. Option one wins. And that's how it all works. But what's and, specificity mean in that case? Well, calculating specificity is that thing which I said is very complicated. So we're going to lie about specificity for a while. <laughs> okay. So we'll come to it. I have, there's a section later down called, what is it? A naive first, no, a first approximation of specificity. <laughs> That's the bit where we're going to be lying through our teeth. Right? Okay. So you have these collisions and you resolve the collisions and understanding how those collisions are resolved is what makes CSS, what makes you be able to use CSS. So at a very fundamental level, all of these style properties are just very simple name value pairs. So it's basically color red font, text weight, bold, whatever. Very, very elementary, simple, you know, a property name and a value. Very simplistic. But really but the, hard to remember the syntax for, in my opinion. Like, I know syntax. if I find something that says color colon red semicolon, I know if I changed red to blue, it would fix it. But I couldn't come up with that string with the semicolon and the colon in the right place to save my love and, live and soul. 
Okay, well, hopefully we'll we'll get a little better at that by the time we're done here today, because the actual syntax is very simplistic. The only thing is you, you, you either need to remember or, more realistically, know how to go look up. Or understand. <laughs> or understand, yeah. All those I'm hoping so, understand gets me to remember. A lot of the time it will. I The ones that make me cranky are the things that affect text. Some of them start with font and some of them start with text. Mm. So it's font-weight bold, text-align, justify. I really wish they would pick one. <laughs> okay. So Don't text. confuse us. <laughs> no, no. Okay. So at the bottom, right, at the core is these simple properties. But the thing is, when you combine lots of simple properties, you actually get a powerful effect. So the properties are applied to tags. And the way that you apply a property to a tag is with a selector. So specificity is something we're going to have to learn. And the other thing we're going to have to learn is these selectors. So the selector basically says, what in the page do I make red? What in the page do I make bold? So a selector is a way of saying, I am targeting just these tags. And I'm now going to tell you that these tags should have this property. Okay. That, that makes sense. So the selector basically allows us to zoom in on the bits we want to. Manipulate. I don't know what a selector is yet. Correct. Okay. So again, that's but what, what it concepts. does makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's so the concepts we're going to be building up are selectors and specificity, and we build them up together because actually, how you define the selector affects the specificity. So the two are very, very interrelated concepts. Okay. So they're the two things that we are going to start off lying to our teeth about, and we're going to build up. Then the other obvious thing is just a matter of kind of knowing about them is the different options, and they sort of fall into categories. And so I figure we'll just tackle them in groups that make sense. Okay. So we're going to learn today about the sum of the properties for text. Because I figure that's a nice easy place to start. So some how do we the... make text reds? How do we make it bold? How do we make it italic? That kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. So before we get into any of that, we need to actually so we have a HTML file. No, we don't. And we want to make some styles. How do okay. we put style into the document? That is the most basic thing to learn to do, right? Right. And we have three ways of injecting our style into our HTML. And they're given here in order of preference. So if at all possible, you do option one. If for some reason that doesn't work, do option two. And if absolutely all else fails, do option three. Okay, so it's important that you not get into the wrong habit. But I say we'll work through these. So... The best thing to do is to have a completely separate file that contains all of your style information and simply tell the document to go over to that file and use that. And that's brilliant for a website that has lots and lots of pages because you write the style once and every page just reaches into it. And that's how WordPress works, right? This is, your theme defines a style sheet and every page on your blog uses the same style sheet. It would be terrible if that was copied and pasted into every page in your blog, right? Sure. Sure. Be disaster. And so you reference out to a central file, and that's the preferred way to get CSS into your file. And you do that by adding a tag which has a name that really should be used for something else. The tag is link. Do <laughs> you remember when I said that the A tag made my head explode? I only told you half the reason the A tag makes my head explode. The other half is there is a tag called link. Why doesn't it make links? <laughs> okay. The link tag links the style sheet into a document and it goes inside of the head section. Sort of makes sense, I suppose. Sort of, kind of. So it's link rel equals style sheet. 
So you're saying I'm linking to an external resource and the type of that resource is style sheet. What's Realm? Mean? That... No idea. Okay. <laughs> Genuinely no idea. <laughs> okay. Link rel equals quote style sheet. Type equals text slash CSS. There was always the thought that maybe someone will come up with another method of styling a, we- a web page. So far, text slash CSS is the only option, but maybe in the future someone will invent something new. So the design was forward thinking. They were saying whatever we're linking to is going to be a CSS style sheet. So it's just called style sheet or can that have different names? Okay, so the next bit we get to is href equals URL to style sheet. Okay, but I'm saying when it says link rel equals style sheet, the word style sheet, is it always style sheet or you just called it that? No, no, that is if you're linking to a style sheet, it's always style sheet. Okay. The link tag can be used to suck in some other things too, but we're not going to get to them yet. I have to, I have to interrupt with something really funny that the the okay. audience will not see this by the time you fix it. But the heading Uh-oh. for this section says import an external spreadsheet, and I've been sitting there thinking, ah! God, why are we going to do a spreadsheet? That's weird. Okay. I'm clicking the edit button right now. <laughs> I wonder was that an autocorrect or was that just my brain being in the wrong? <laughs> I was thinking, wow, we're going to do this style sheet example using a spreadsheet. I didn't know. I, Wow, this is going to be really interesting. <laughs> I've been reading that. Okay. I've been reading ahead and trying to figure out what on earth you were talking about. Okay, do a shift refresh. Sanity has restored. To that okay, but that was funny. You got to admit it was funny. Of all the people to tell that you were going to do a spreadsheet. <laughs> okay. Okay. So there we go. Now, I, now I'm following along better. Link rel equals style sheet. Type equals text slash HTML, and then the important bit is href equals no the text URL. slash CSS. Text slash, yeah, what did I say? HTML. Oh, well, that'd be very silly. <laughs> Text slash CSS, href equals the URL. Okay. And of course, like we learned about last time, that can be a relative URL, like with an image or an absolute URL, a valid URL, be it relative or absolute. So this is how you're you're telling your, in the body of your uh, web page, you're going to say, I want you to go look over at the URL, at this style sheet. This is where I've defined the way I want things to look. Correct. So the way you can imagine it is that you take all of the style information in that file and you can imagine copying and pasting it over that line. Uh-huh. It's effectively sure. what's happening. Sure, that so makes sense. So it gets sense. sucked into the header. The other way to do it is to define the style inside the header. And hmm. you do that with a style tag. So you say style, and then inside the style tag, all of your style information, slash style. Okay. So that means that you have defined it all in the header. There are two times that makes sense. One time is if your entire project consists of one file. Well, look, there's only one file. Why waste your time reaching out to another file? Just shove it into the one file. Mm-hmm. Can make sense. if you're. Sometimes you might be using HTML as part of an app or something, and you just have an interface or something. It's one file. Never going to be more than one file. Why would you waste your time creating an external style sheet? Just define that inside the style tag. The other time it makes sense is imagine you have a page with, you have some sort of website or project of some sort that has like 100 pages and all 100 of those pages have a whole bunch of their style in common, but just one page has a few extra rules that are needed that are not needed anywhere else on the site. Do you make your one central style sheet bigger or do you just put those one or two rules into an internal style sheet as well as referencing the external one? So the Does that ex- make sense? Yeah, the example you show is uh, with an uh, image. And I can think of a specific case of this, of where once in a while, 
I'll put in an image where I've had to shrink it down to make it look good on the website, but mm-hmm. I want you to click it to see the full res image. So I'll put a blue border around it so I give you a visual indication to know that this is going to have, this is a link. I mean, they're often links anyway, but this one I'm saying, I really want you to click this. Well, I wouldn't want that in my style sheet. So I okay, would put that right in here, right? No, you'll put that in option three. <laughs> I thought okay, I understood. So- now I don't know why you'd want it. Okay. Well- Okay. Just, is that a great example? Yeah, until we start doing it, maybe maybe the answer is it does, it's difficult okay. to know. But basically, you can define styles in the head section. So you can either say head, inside the head have a link or inside the head have the style itself. Okay. My general oh, thing oh, is... Oh, that was your example of just, just a, pa- a whole page that wants to be different, not just a, one a image. Whole page, not one image in a page, a whole page that's just a unique standalone thing. Okay. Um, if you find yourself copying and pasting definitions from one style tag in one page to another style tag in another page, you're doing it wrong. Okay. Then you really should have an external style sheet if you're copying and pasting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, and then the last way to introduce style is an exception at the individual tag level. So you are saying that this one tag here within this page is going to be different to everything else on this page and everything else on my site. That's a, that's what I was talking about. That is what you were talking about, exactly. And so, that is the style attribute. Okay, so I was already on that section when I said that. So I do understand. Okay, good. So that's why I'm saying I want this one image to have that. I, I read ahead, right. sorry. Okay. Uh, okay. So an example might be that normally all of your images get a one pixel border because that's what the style sheet says. But you want one image for one weird reason to be different. You could say image source equals blah, alt equals blah, style equals, and then in there go the CSS property value pairs. And that's why I said border width equals two and I want color to be blue so that you know it's a link. Yes, in my example, it's border width zero. Same same concept. Mm -hmm. So it's for defining a... An exception. And if you were to do that all the time, you're basically back to where you were before CSS was invented, where every, if you want to change what an image looks like, you'd have to go to every single image and change the inline style attribute. So you don't want to use style attributes often, but they're still very powerful for the exception. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those are the only ones I know how to do, is I only know that third case. Yes, which is why CSS is a bit annoying to you, because you keep copying and pasting it all over the place. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And as I say, if you're copying and pasting style information, you're not doing it optimally. Well, I'm not copying and pasting. Of course, I got a text expander snippet that says margin <laughs> equals or margin colon semicolon quote something 5px. Okay. <laughs> Let's. Okay. So there are your three ways of. I'm not an animal, Bart. Jeez. <laughs> it's effectively copying and pasting, even though you're doing it in a cooler way. <laughs> so. Basic syntax then. So we know how to suck it in. So now what is it? So the first thing you'll see in my example basic syntax is you can have comments in your style sheet. And I would highly recommend you do for your own sanity in the future. (laughs) Uh, Comments are opened and closed. It's it's the old fashioned C style commenting. So it's not slash slash and then type whatever you like. It's slash star your comment star slash. And that can be spread over multiple lines. Oh, okay. Which is kind of handy for commenting out a whole section. You just slash star, scroll down 10 lines, star slash, and then 10 lines vanish at once. I guess it's good for that. But people are used to the more modern style where you just put some sort of symbol in and then the whole rest of the line vanishes. In yeah. this case, it, 
it's slash star star slash. You have to remember the star slash at the end. Otherwise, everything else in your document is coming to doubt. You'll figure it out pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're using something like Atom, which has syntax highlighting, because you'll see your whole page vanish. Why is it all gone gray? Oh. So then you have a selector, open curly bracket, and then one or more declarations. Close curly bracket. Or, in fact, you could have selector, comma, selector, comma, selector, open curly bracket, your definitions, close curly bracket. So basically you're saying, what do I apply? So what goes outside the curly bracket is what should I apply this to? And between the curly brackets is what you're applying. Okay. Again, we're going to get to real examples. So at the moment I'm saying you have a selector and you apply declarations. So what's a declaration? Well, a declaration is a CSS property name, colon, a CSS property value, semicolon. So it's name, colon, value, semicolon. Okay. So when you break it down, the syntax is actually quite nice. Little individual pieces are quite sensible. So it's name, colon, value, semicolon. Yeah, I've been pretty good at being able to read CSS. It's sort of like being able to read French but not speak it, not make it up on my own. Yes. There are lots of tools to help you make it up on your own. So uh, something we're going to do, I'm not going to do it this week because that'll just confuse things. But from next week on, we're going to start using the developer tools in Firefox to help us. Ooh. And of course, we've already recommended people use the Atom editor. And the nice thing is the Atom editor will auto-complete CSS property names. And it will Mm -hmm. give you a list. So if you type font dash, it will give you all the things you can do to a font. Oh, well, that's cool, but I'll never learn. (laughs) No, practice. (laughs) When you see the same thing a hundred times, it does sink in eventually. Okay, good. Now, I've noticed the the link you sent to to see all these values is W3Schools. Every time I have ever referenced that I learned something from W3Schools, somebody yells at me, nobody uses that anymore. Everything they say in there is garbage. That's all old and deprecated and you're wrong. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Don't care. I use it all the time. It's great. Thank you. Okay, I wish I'd asked you a long time ago because I've been slammed like 40 times for using stuff from there. I will put a caveat on it. Their reference material is good. Their tutorials are not. Hmm. So I use them heavily to reference. Okay, so I use their tutorials, this, so maybe that's it. Their tutorials, they were once fine. They're just a little behind the times. So I wouldn't use their tutorials, but their reference material is perfect. Or okay, maybe that's what fine. people were talking about. Yeah, I'm always going back there to try to figure out how to do a stupid table. So I get stuck. I hate tables. <laughs> no, I use their references for their CSS color reference is great. Their CSS tag reference is great. It's just... There's a list there of every property alphabetically. So scroll down and get what you need. What more do you want? That sounds good. You know, so because usually I'm going, okay, what are the proper values for text, uh, you know, for text dash align? Oh, I see. I am allowed left, right, justify something else. Anyway, sorry, I shouldn't scroll. I'm talking. Um, (laughs) But it's just a list of them all. And when you click on one in the list, it will take you to a description of what you can do with it. So that's fine. That That's, you know, that's all we need. It also tells you what version of what browser these were they came into being in, which is also useful if you're developing in the real world. We, however, are assuming that everyone has CSS3 and HTML5, so we don't care about that. But if you're doing this for a living, you may not be allowed to make that assumption. Yeah. So you may have to check whether or not IE6 supports the cool new feature you want. The answer is probably no. <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah, I don't think yeah. they have blue yet. In, in that. Probably not. So 
the link to W3 Schools is an important one, and I keep it bookmarked. But don't look at it as a tutorial. It is a list. It is a reference to look at. So what we're going to do is we're going to, in this series, we're going to visit lots of common groups of CSS properties and talk about them. And then you can double check what they mean over at the reference at W3 Schools. Because, you know, no one learns no one learns things by rote. That's just a waste of time. All you need to know is how to look them up. Right. So you understand so, how, how the grammar works, but not necessarily every vocabulary word. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. When you understand how it works, then you can look up the details in a reference. Because filling your brain with how it works is valuable. Filling your brain with a bunch of meaningless, uh, just plain data is a waste of time. Right. Okay, so our declarations are simply property name, colon, value, semicolon. And the specification defines hundreds of possible property names and for each one, what the allowed values are. And so you look up the property name and it'll tell you what the values are allowed to be. Okay. So we'll get those later. So the last, okay, the second last bit of theory we need to get to is CSS selectors. So the selector allows us to target bits of the page for applying these styles to. For today, and for today only, we are saying that a CSS selector is simply a tag name without the angle brackets. So if you want to affect how a paragraph looks, you say P, open curly bracket, all your style, close curly bracket. If you'd like to affect... Yeah. So for today, and for today only, that is what a selector is. It's just the name of a tag. They (laughs) get more complicated. So like if you wanted to affect um, heading three tags, you would just say H3, curly curly bracket. Okay. Yeah. All your stuff you want to do to the H3 close curly bracket. And just a reminder, we'll, I, we'll come to this in the work example, but if you want to affect multiple tags, you say tag name, comma, tag name, comma, tag name, because you can have multiple selectors separated by commas. So you could say H1, comma, H2, comma, H3, squirrely bracket. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So you, let's say you want to make all of your headings purple. I don't know why you would, but let's just imagine. <laughs> but you, you may want to do something else to a H one and a H3, but let's just say, so all of them, you want them purple. So you'd say H1, comma, H2, all the way to H5, open curly bracket, color, colon, purple, semicolon, close curly bracket. And then you might say H1, H1, open curly bracket, text decoration underline, semicolon, close your curly bracket. Then all the H's will be purple, but only the H1 will have an underline. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So for today, now there's also a special selector called star. Do you want to have a guess what star does? Bold? Nope. <laughs> uh, bullets? Okay. Well, we're not in Markdown world. <laughs> star means every tag. Oh, so, oh, oh, okay. Okay. So as a selector, star is the wild card. So you say star open squarely bracket. You say apply this style to everything. Okay. To be honest, I've never actually used it, but it does exist. Um, I tend to use body for that. So you wouldn't want to do, like, font? Like, I'm always going to be in this font? Yeah, but I would do that with the body tag, because the body tag is the master, is the parent of everything. Oh, but the body tag is only on the page. If you're doing this in a referenced uh, external style sheet... Then every page has a body, so it'll work. But you'd have to do it over and over and over in every body? No, no, because you're linking to the style information. Right, but I'm saying in the style sheet... Mm Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you... The style sheet, you say... The selector is body. Oh, 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 I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I thought, okay, I thought body... No, so body a is a selector and it's a tag. Well, everything is a tag, right? A P is a tag and a selector. Our selectors are tag names. Ah, oh, okay. Okay. Oh, good, good, good. Okay, got it, got it. 
For today only, our selectors are tagging. <laughs> still, someone is still going to shout at me for, for lying through my teeth. I told you I'm lying through my teeth. Okay. Okay, so our first approximation of specificity. So, highly simplified, in bold, right? I know I'm lying to you. So, anything specified with the selector star has the lowest possible specificity. Anything specified inside a style attribute, like your example of that one image that will be different, has the highest possible specificity. So it, that's why, even though your WordPress style sheet says a border should be one, when you put the two inside the style attribute, it wins. It wins because that inline attribute is given effectively a specificity of infinity. Okay. It always so, wins. So by specificity, they just mean this supersedes that. Correct. Okay. Higher specificity will win over lower specificity. Okay. Star has the lowest, and anything you do in an inline tag gets the highest. Um, the other thing that has the lowest value is anything you inherit from your parent. Hmm. So I said that the styles ripple down. So I said that a paragraph style will ripple into the styles for a tag inside it. But that inheritance is given the lowest possible priority so that if you let's say that you say that paragraphs should be blue but bold text should be purple well what happens bold text inside a paragraph well the answer is because the blue is given the lowest specificity the purple will win that makes sense yeah so stuff you inherit is the lowest possible specificity has a specificity of zero got it finally if two things work out as having the same specificity Whichever one came later in the page wins. So if you say P color equals color colon blue, then later you say color colon red, the red has overwritten the blue. You see what I mean? Yeah, that makes complete sense. And this is why it's useful to have an external style sheet and an internal one. So you, you link to the external one first. And then if you want to make, say, okay, so on my site, I normally want paragraphs to be blue. But for this page only, I want them to be red. You would say a link to my style sheet and then have an internal style sheet that redefines them to, to red. Right. So the inherited one would be overridden by the, the local. Well, it's simply overridden for the reason that as long as I put the link tag higher up my document than the style tag, then it came first and the style tag came last and the last one wins. Okay. If I reverse them, oh, right, right, right. the other one would win, but that would be weird. <laughs> Having remote styles more important than local ones. So don't do that. Always have your link to the external one, and then underneath it, do your local stuff. And then the local stuff will always win. And this is really, this is extra useful, right? Because in the web these days, a lot of people don't start from scratch. You start with some sort of toolkit that someone else has spent ages writing. So a really common one is something called Bootstrap. And Bootstrap comes with like loads of CSS. So you would link to Bootstrap and then underneath it make any changes because maybe you disagree with the Bootstrap developer about two things. Well, take all of their code and then just disagree with them below them. Right? Right. So that's why we have this concept of internal and external. So that's why it matters how, how these things get resolved. So before I confuse you any further, let us actually get practical. Let us look at how we format text with CSS. Okay. Please. <laughs> so the first thing we're going to look at is how we say what color text should be. So the property, the CSS style property for color is color, spelled the American way. As God intended. 
Mm, I think he said it in Hebrew. Uh, <laughs> no idea what it is in Hebrew. Uh, Let's try to offend everybody while we're at it. Yes. So you can so color colon and then a value. Okay. What possible values are there for color? Well, there are actually CSS is generous in the many different ways it allows you to specify color. So the first way is it allows you to specify a color by name. And you have all the obvious ones like red, green, blue, yellow, purple, black, white. They're all there. But there's actually a list and another link out to W3Schools because the list of named colors is long and contains weird stuff like cornflower blue and dark olive blue. <laughs> but the nice thing on the W3Schools is it has like a, it's like a little color picker in a paint shop, right? It just lists all the colors and you scroll down until you find one you like and then you read and you say that it's Rebecca Purple. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Rebecca Purple or Rosy Brown or Royal Blue. Right? So you just pick what you want. It's a bit like uh, Pantone or whatever. Right? They're just names to represent colors. Right, right. And they're useful a lot of the time, especially for simple stuff like red, green, blue and you know, basic stuff. Yeah, that's actually but, useful because, I mean, when you want the blue that means it's a link, it's just called blue. You don't correct. need to know the hex code to do that. Exactly. Now, you mentioned hex codes. So HTML in the bad old days did everything with hex codes. And because a lot of web developers think that way by years of training, you can also use the hex codes in CSS. And to use a hex code, you prefix it with the parent sign, as you call it, or the hash symbol, as we call it. Mm -hmm. And that gives you stuff. So it's RGB. So it's two. the first two characters represent red, the second two green, the second two blue, and they're hexadecimal values between 0 and 255, which actually works out as 00 to FF. So red is hash FF0000. I never knew that, that that was red, green, blue. It's RGB. Yeah, it's simple RGB, but represented in hex because that's so natural to us humans. <laughs> it's... Six, it's, it's a certain number of bits, anyway, represented in hex. Each hex is two. So but I didn't know bit. the pairs. At least the, it, it helps it be a little bit more understandable to know their pairs. It does, actually, because the simple color. So if you want a slightly darker red, you would lower the number. So you'd have, say, CC0000 would be red, but closer to black. So dark red. Mm. And all zeros is black and all Fs is white. And it also tells me that FF and all zeros is red. Two zeros, FF would be green. Correct. Four zeros and FF must be blue. Correct. Yeah. So it does It does help make them a slightly less weird, but they're still weird. Because yellow and stuff becomes a horrible mixture of the different channels. Um, you can also specify the RGBs in, you know, actual decimal numbers from zero to 255. And you do that by saying RGB, open bracket, the red value, comma, the green value, comma, the blue value, close bracket. Not all that much more useful than the hex codes, to be honest, but a lot of people who are used to Photoshop will probably be used to getting RGBs as numeric values. Yeah, I was going to say, there's been times where I'm going like, okay, I just want blue, and I drag my cursor on this this two-dimensional you know, two matrix, and I go over, and then all of a sudden it'll say 255, or it'll say 00, 255. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now, there's also something called RGB with alpha or RGB with opacity, or RGBA, and this is exactly like an RGB color, but the last value determines how transparent it is. Oh, Whereas geez. zero means completely transparent, and one means not at all transparent. So an or so you say RGBA, open bracket, 255,00,1, or whatever, to get proper red. Or a semi-transparent red would be 255,00,0.5. Again, 
you can do it if you want to. Okay. Then for people who absolutely adore Photoshop, <laughs> there is HSL, which is hue, saturation, and lightness. Oh, and a HSL value uses the color wheel. So the first, so it's a, you say HSL open bracket, and then you give the number of degrees around the color wheel as the first value. So a value between zero well, and three. Just stop. Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> and then you give a saturation percentage and then a lightness percentage. I'm uh, just going to write blue. Yes, I know. I do the same. And then there's also a HSLA for if you want to have a semi-transparent HSL color. So anyway, the bottom line is, if you scroll down, the following three are all the same. Color colon crimson, color colon hash DC143C semicolon, or color colon RGB220, 20, 20, 60. Okay. They're all crimson. I always like to learn multiple ways to do the same thing. (laughs) It's Yeah, but if you're looking at someone else's... Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. Also, if you're working in Photoshop and you have a color you really like, Photoshop will tell you in one of those three formats. It will tell you the RGB, the hex code, or the uh, or yeah. the HSL. So whatever it tells you, you know you can shove it into into CSS, and that's good. So that's color. I'm going to go with color, color, and crimson. Uh, the next one is fonts. And fonts in CSS are not as simple as you might hope for the very simple reason that when a font is referenced in a web page, your local computer's fonts are what's used. And so instead of referencing a single font, you reference a list of preferences. And ideally speaking, you reference the preferences from a specific exact font to a font family to a generic type of font. So a classic example would be that you say Times New Roman, Times Serif. So I really like Times New Roman. If you don't have Times New Roman, give me any Times font at all. And if you don't have a Times font, give me anything with serifs. By the way, not everybody might know what serif Ah, means. Good. I was getting to that. Yeah. So for those of you not familiar with typographic terminology, so if you see an an uppercase letter T is the perfect place to see or not see a serif. So an uppercase letter T is just a line and another line. But a lot of times that's not what they look like on a page, right? If you see a printed book, the T will usually have a little squiggly bit on each end of the the horizontal bar and maybe some sort of fat base on the bottom of the vertical bar. Right. And those twiddly bits on the end, as I call them, (laughs) they are known properly as serifs. I like that they use the French to explain when there isn't one. They do. So a font that doesn't have the twiddly bits is called sans serif. Which means without. Without twiddly bits. And then the the last kind of terminology you might want to know is monospace so most fonts like an i is narrower than an o so that's called a variable width font because different letters have different widths but when you're programming or something you usually use a fixed width font and then a fixed width font everything is as wide as everything else and that's known as monospace so in browser land a serif font is any non-fixed width font with twiddly bits a sans serif font is any font without twiddly bits that's variable width, and a monospace font is a font that's of fixed width. Does a, do you have options on monospace of whether or not you have twiddly bits? Some monospace fonts do, some monospace fonts don't, but in terms of the, the, the sort of the top level, the, the catch-all to stick at the end of your font definition is just monospace, and the, what you're basically saying is I don't really care about... Remember, the very last thing you specify is your fallback. If all else fails, what do I care about most? So a common one would be courier new. In other words, what I really want is courier new. 
I'll settle for any version of Courier you have, and if all else fails, give me a monospace font. That would be a very sensible character class to apply to a code tag. Okay. Because okay. whatever happens, you really don't want it represented in variable, sp- variable width, right? Right. So if all else fails, just make sure it's monospace. So the, the last thing in those definitions would always be, if all else fails, for goodness sake, just give me one of those. Here's a fun fact to know and tell. So they, they mixed uh, Dutch or German Dutch hmm? with French because serif comes from a Dutch word and then sans is, is, sans is uh, yeah. without from French. Well, given that the printing press came from Germany, I guess it makes sense to be sort of Germanic influences in the words. Yeah, but then the they flew Fr- through French yeah. at the beginning. So I, there's one question I've always had. How come you can't just use any font you want? Because there's only so many fonts, right? You can't, like, I can't just say I want everybody to use Century Gothic. You probably could get away with Century Gothic because every computer probably has Century Gothic. But no, if you go- no, Macs don't come with it. Ah, you have, okay. you have well, to have Microsoft pretty- Office to get it, is how I got it anyway. Aha. Okay, so that would be a good example. So Century Gothic is what type of, what does Century Gothic look like? Uh, really pretty, and I like it. It's thin, and it's got, uh, it's uh, without serifs. Okay, so you would say Century Gothic as your first choice, comma, some sort of font that comes like by Mac by default that's halfway tolerable. Yeah, so actually on a Mac, I'd say Helvetica, because Macs come with Helvetica, which mm-hmm. is a nicer version of Arial. So you might say Century Gothic, comma, Helvetica, comma, sans serif. Right. Okay. And so you, you can, you can three. pick other f- fonts. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So you might, yeah. So you might say that, well, anyone who has Photoshop, they're going to have this really cool font called doodly bits. So you could stick that first and then say, okay, realistically, we'll go with Verdana and then we'll settle for Geneva and then we'll settle for sans serif. So you could have like eight fonts in that list if you really, but if you like. knew something about your audience, that could work, right? Correct. It's yeah. a Photoshop blog. And that always comes with doodly bits. Exactly. So the important thing is that you end on something generic. Okay. So as many as you like up front, but end on serif or sans serif or monospace. You say as so, many as you like. Yeah. You Why would you have more than one? Well, times your Roman times serif is three. Oh, okay. In your, in your example, you've got four. Uh, you've got yeah, four font family declarations. Font. Sorry, yeah, they're just yeah. So each one is a different declaration. So you wouldn't apply okay. them all to a paragraph because good, the last good. one would win, right? Got you. Okay, uh, but they're just examples of of how you have multiple. So the, the tag, is, oh, sorry, the property is called font minus family or font dash family, and then the value is a comma separated list of font names or font families or font types. Okay, and in quotes, if they're more than one word. If they have a space, they go in quotes. And the way it will work is the browser will start at the front of the list and keep going until it finds a match. Okay. So whatever you put at the front is your preference and then less and less and less as you go back. Okay. So that's fonts. We will revisit fonts in the future because someone invented something cool that allows you to get rid of all this. But we're not going there today. Okay. Uh, Font size is the next thing. And it's font minus size is the CSS property. Uh, And font size allows you to specify in a number of different units. Just like with the color, there were a number of different ways of specifying it. So the first one is we have named absolute sizes. They range from XX-small, followed by X-small, followed by small. Then we have medium. Then we have large. Then we have X-large up to XX-large. So they're your named font sizes. I don't like that. Never really use them to me. <laughs> okay, I, good. I like to be more specific. Uh, 
Uh, we also have named relative sizes, uh, which are larger and smaller. And, okay, larger and smaller than what? Yeah. That's probably where you're going here. Larger or smaller than the tag I am inside? So remember we said that if you had a strong inside a paragraph? Well, then, if the paragraph was medium, then you could say that the strong was smaller, then it would become small. Or if the paragraph was extra small, and you said that the strong should be smaller, then it would become XX small. I don't like that one either. No, I don't like that one either. Okay. They exist, though, so I'm just saying. All right. Probably the more useful one. In this planet, we are all used to thinking of fonts in terms of points. Mm-hmm. So if you would like to specify a font at a point, you say the number followed by the letters PT. So a 12-point font is 12 PT. I've noticed, though, that 12 points isn't 12 points isn't 12 points. Yeah, I'm so not going there today. <laughs> okay. Yeah, a point. A point is a special way of representing fonts, and oh, it gets complicated. Okay, moving on. We've gone long enough. Good. Yeah, well, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Don't if you it. specify your font in points and you use a screen reader, you know the way you can hit Command Plus to make fonts bigger? Uh-huh. If you specify them in points, they'll get bigger. If you specify them in pixels, they'll always be that size of pixels. Oh, so don't put things in pixels. Unless it's inside a graphic or something, where it's not allowed to get bigger. In which case, the screen reader can't read it at all. Hmm. Yeah, there, well... No, if you have, actually for the blind, it won't make any difference. It's just for the partially sighted, it'll stay small or big or like if you have a giant big hundred pixel high header and you want the text to be exactly 90 pixels high, no matter how much people zoom in or zoom out, that makes sense. Because otherwise it would really break your page. Okay, so when you say inside a graphic, you don't mean embedded. Okay, something visually. Something. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. Some sort of banner or something that you have a, a, a header across or something. There might be reasons you don't want the font to change as people zoom in and zoom out. So our second type is pixels, and you end that with px. So twelve pt for twelve point ten px for ten pixels. And then the last thing you can do is relative to the parent by percentage. So again, if you have our paragraph, and then say our paragraph is twelve point font. We could say that all strong tags should be 50% the size of their parent. So then the strong would become six point. Okay. 99.9% of the time you're dealing in points. The odd time you'll talk pixels and all the rest of them I have never seen. But they do exist. So you don't have a uh, an example of what this looks like. Is it font dash size Late. equals or colon? Okay, so it's always name, colon, value, semicolon. So... Font dash size twelve pt semicolon. Font dash size colon. Font dash PT. size yeah. So name colon value. So font dash size colon twelve pt semicolon. Okay, good. Just some of these you have examples and some you don't. So I just want to keep track. Okay. Yes, I'm with well, you. we have a big overall example at the end. So okay. the next thing is italics and bold. So italics and bold are controlled by the font dash style. Uh, attribute and the font dash weight attribute. So if you want it to be italic, it's font dash style colon italic semicolon. And if you want it not to be italic, it's font dash style colon normal semicolon. Okay. And for bold, it's font dash weight colon bold semicolon or font dash weight colon normal semicolon. So some things default to being bold like a H1 tag. So it's actually important to know how to unbold something which is bold by default. 
Okay. Why you, okay. why you might want a font weight normal. Okay. It's like, yeah, I know people think the header should be bold, but actually I like this skinny font. It looks good. So you might say font dash weight colon normal. Underline, overline, and strike through are all controlled by the same tag, which is text dash decoration. And oh, that's cute. Decoration. I'm going to decorate it. <laughs> you decorate it with a line. And basically your choices are where the line goes or no line at all. So text decoration colon underline semicolon underlines your text. Text minus decoration colon overline. Ooh, there's a typo. Okay, good. I was going to say, I don't know what that means, what you wrote there. So overline means strike through. Let's go to our reference and go to the text decoration tag to see whether it's overlain or overline. I think it's overline, though. Q-R-S-T, text dash decoration. Yeah, okay, it's a typo. It should be overline. So underline and overline. Okay, and overline means what? Like an underline, but on top. Isn't that called strike through? No. That's oh, you mean middle. above, not on top. As in before. I mean, yeah. So if so, if you imagine a T, the the line would be above the T, and then the okay. last one is line dash through, which is your strike through. Okay. So you can have it above the text, below the text, or through the text. And the last value is text decoration colon none, no underline. No overline or no strike through. Now, what this does also mean is you can't have text that is underlined, overlined, and strike through. You got to choose. You get one line and you get to put it somewhere or nowhere. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. Second last one for the day text alignment. Text Ah. minus align. Left, right, center, justify. I hate this one. This one never works. Well, the one I'm always trying to do, I would like to be able to insert an image that I got from uh, some open source location. I'm required to give them credit rather than using the we talked last week about using or two weeks ago, whenever it was about using Mm -hmm. the title. I think it would be reasonable to have a nice little line underneath that said, I got this photo from Mm -hmm. here. And Uh I want it centered underneath that image. And for the bloody life of me, I cannot achieve that goal. So that, that's going to be in our list of things to make sure I can do by the time we're done here. We will be able to do that for you, I promise. I've done text align till my eyes bleed and I just, ah, it never works. Yeah, but until we learn about the box model, why it's breaking for you won't be obvious. Ooh, box model. I think I need well, that box work, model. When we work with the box model, we can make it work to our advantage. Do we get to do the box model today? Box model is next week because the box <laughs> model is... No, trust me, you need... We need room for your propeller beanie to spin back down before we do that. Yeah, okay, okay, fine. Otherwise, the head explode. Such a tease. So text align is just those four simple values. Now, the default is actually slightly more, com- well, slightly more complicated or interesting. So by default, if you don't give a text alignment, the default depends on the language that your browser thinks the page is in. Oh, that is interesting. Uh, so there is a CSS property called direction. So direction colon, which has two values, LT or and RTL, left to right, right to left. Huh. A web page can contain a tag called the meta equiv tag content minus language, which can specify a language. So if you specify English or French or German or Dutch or any of the Western languages, well, then the web browser knows that English is a left to right language. But if you have to specify Arabic as the language, then the browser would flip and all the defaults would be the other way around and be right to left. Ah. As they should be. As they should be. So the final thing is, if you don't specify anything, if you don't say either what language it is, 
or what the text direction is, well, then what does it default to? The answer is it uses your computer's location in the operating system. Ooh, interesting. Which is why in the Western world, if we say nothing, we get left. Because my computer is set up as being in Ireland. Firefox looks at my computer when it doesn't know what else to do and it says, ah, Ireland, okay, I'll go left to right then. Just the Western so, world. But if you're in Japan, right. it's going to go right to left? If you have your computer set up to be in the Japanese locale, if no one gives any sort of indication what the browser should do, the browser will default the other way. But As Japanese isn't right to left, is it? I don't know. I sort of assumed it was because you said so. And no, no, I picked it because I thought it was left to right. Then it would do the same too, right? Wherever, wherever it should be, it is. It is okay. Got you. Okay, so if if you need it to be right to left, but you're in a physical location that's left to right, it'll flip it backwards for you. Now, It'll the thing messed. is, most, like, if you, the chances are, if you go to podfree.com and look at the headers, part of the WordPress will have stuck in a language for you, probably en-us. Oh, okay. And so WordPress is probably being specific. Okay. But if it isn't, Firefox or Safari or Chrome. Oh, yeah, because you don't, you don't want to be in a, in a country where it reads right to left and get English right to left. Exactly. exactly. Oh, exactly. okay. Cool. I got it. So it's slightly more complicated than you think, but it does all make sense when you think about it. Yeah. Okay. So the last thing I want to teach you about today, before we move on to an example to hopefully tie it all together and make some light bulbs go off, is a property I find very fun called case transform. Text transform? Yes. Sorry. It does case transformation, but it's called text transform. (laughs) Of course it is. I need to make, I need to fix the show notes there. So text-transform can have a couple of options. You have capitalize, makes the first letter of every word uppercase. Lowercase makes everything lowercase. Uppercase makes everything uppercase. And none leaves everything alone. So what would be an example of why you'd want to do that? Headings. Having a heading Um, be in all caps without you having to type it in all caps. Oh, okay. And being able to change your mind about that. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Uh, in fact, if you scroll up to the top of the page, you will see that that's exactly what happens to my subheadings. It says about Bart, blog, photography, and publications, all in all caps. They're not in all caps. It's just that the CSS is doing that. Oh. And if I were to change my theme, they would go back to, there could be something else. So it allows the theme to control the capitalization. I find that kind of dangerous when you do that, though, because then you get lazy and you don't bother cap- uh, doing leading caps. But I guess with this, you can do... Well, no, but you would do leading caps, right? So you would write the way you should write and if your theme wants to do something different it can so basically how you write it doesn't affect how it'll look so write it correct grammatically correct and if you want to present it differently you can right right so we have a first example which at the moment in the show notes is called pbs5 by the time people read this will be called pbs6 it's a zip file that contains two files one called index.html which contains our html and one called style.css because I just couldn't be bothered being creative. <laughs> and okay. what you will notice, so our HTML document contains a random smattering of the tags we've learned about. So the first thing to note is that inside the header section, we say link rel equals style sheet type equals text slash CSS href equals style.css, a relative link to the style sheet, which is sitting right next to us in the same folder. So we are sucking in style.css with that line. Okay. The rest of it then is kind of what we expect. There's a H1 tag that says PBS5, which will say PBS6 in a minute. CSS demo. Then we have a paragraph. This is our first styled web page. It contains some examples, blah, blah, blah. Then we have a H2, some styled paragraphs. 
Then we have a paragraph that says, this is a pointless sentence that contains some strong and emphasized text. Appropriately marked up with strong and EM tags. Then we have a Laura Mispham paragraph, because why not? H2, some fun quotations. Then we have some block quote tags. And then we end the document. So we have okay. some headers, some paragraphs, some block quotes, a bit of strong and a, and a bit of emphasized. Just a smattering of the tags we've learned about. Okay. And then we have the styles we would like to apply. So the very first thing on my style sheet is a comment saying what it is. And again, notice that's a multi-line comment because the way slash star star slash works. You are going really fast all of a sudden where I'm trying to keep up because uh, I haven't even got the style sheet open. It should be if you scroll down. Oh, okay. It should be right below you. Okay. Um, both yeah, I thought I was supposed to be downloading it and looking at them in oh, Adam. So I've been... You can look at them Adam if you like, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, now I'm caught up. I got the style sheet open. Everybody else hit the pause button while you go get that. Okay. So we have our two-line or multi-line header at the top just to show you how that works. Then we're going to set the default style for the whole page. So we say, as a selector, body, open curly bracket. And then we have two style definitions for the body. So we say font minus family, colon, Verdana, comma, Geneva, comma, sans serif. Can I ask a question why they come out in different colors? Like that in, would be the syntax highlighting. Yeah, but why would Verdana and Geneva come out in different color? They don't. They. I'm looking right at it in Adam and they are. are Verdana is orange specific. and Geneva is grayish blue. Uh, okay, that's in Atom. Perhaps because one of them is installed and one of them isn't installed. No, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Possibly. I don't know how Atom does its styling. That, okay. That's certainly a potential reason. Okay. Uh, text align justify. Because mm-hmm. that seems like a decent default. Ooh, semicolon missing bold part. <sighs> the, tra- the final semicolon is technically optional, but I still always put it in because the reason don't I do is... Don't be telling because... me anything's optional, Bart. <laughs> I don't want right, to know. But the reason you shouldn't, I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't, is because if you then come along a year later and add another line, will you remember to go back to the previous line and put in the trailing nope. semicolon? No, nope. I won't, exactly. So I'll fix that in the show notes too. Okay, then we want to style our headings. We say H1, H2. So I want to apply these rules to both H1s and H2s. What would I like to do? Text minus transform colon uppercase, semicolon, color colon hash 000099. I love that color. I've loved it since the 1990s. Therefore, I know it as its hash code. <laughs> then we say H2. So we're only affecting H2s now. Uh-huh. And we say font minus weight colon normal. So even though a heading is normally bold, ignore that. We are forcing it to be not bold. Mm-hmm. Text minus decoration colon overline. Ah. I figured we may as well show people what that looks like. Even though there's then probably not I, too much use for that, but still interesting. Can be nice. <laughs> uh, make dark, make strong text dark blue. So strong. Open curly bracket, color colon, and my favorite shade of blue again. Make emphasize text gray. EM, open curly bracket, color colon, dark gray. And then the last one, let's style our quotations. So block quote, open curly bracket, font minus style, colon, italic, semicolon. And then an RGB color just because I could. So, not very complicated styles there. We're just basically specifying how we'd like the different tags to look. And so when you save your page and open it what you see for the first time in this entire series is a web page that doesn't look entirely crap <laughs> it took me a minute to catch so uh this is this is kind of cool uh you have em uh color colon dark gray 
And then later on in block quote, you say font style is italic. That just said that's going to be dark gray because italic is the font style, but EM is the tag that makes that okay, you so use to see. Okay, so EMs are italic by default, so we don't have to make an EM italic. I know, but if you hadn't said EM colored uh, dark gray, then when you said font style equals uh, of italic inside the block quote, it would not have been dark gray. Or did you, or no, you go back no, and define no, it again. No, okay, so is this, there is no EM tag present inside that block quote, so the EM selector is not an action. <laughs> right? The e, okay, the selector. So you've got font selected. style, italic, and EM? Why do we have to have both? Wait, okay. So the block quote is applying styles only to the block quote tag, right? right? By default, a block quote is not italic. If you look at the HTML code, there is no EM tag present in those block quotes. Okay, so block quote and EM are both tags. Yeah. Inside selected. both of them, you have said, okay, you've said, they just happen, you just happen to have chosen italic inside a block quote, but it could have been bold. It could have been any right. font style on anything else. Okay. Okay, because I want quotations to be in italic. Right. I'm not emphasizing them, so they're not inside an EM tag, but I want them rendered as italic. You know, I really want to go mess around with my CSS file on my on podfeet.com now, don't you? Yes, I do. I would okay. ask you to please wait another week until you know about the um, the box model. Oh, come on! <laughs> because otherwise your sidebars are going to explode. <laughs> okay, fine. The box model is what makes it possible to have sidebars and headers and all those kind of things. Okay. So until we know how the box model works, you're kind of playing with dynamite. After you know about the box model, have have at it. <laughs> okay. But without knowing about the box model, you are in danger of causing problems. Which is why you'll notice this example is a very, very, very simple page. It just has, you know, a heading, a paragraph, and some stuff. There's no sidebars. There's nothing like that going on. <laughs> we haven't learned about those yet. Okay, fine. I'll be good. Now, we keep saying one more week, but this we really mean next time, right? Sorry, yes. Okay. Yeah, well, next time, whenever that happens to be. <laughs> well, this was uh, oddly really interesting. I thought At first, I thought it was going to feel like uh, my example of posting on the horse and not getting to actually run around, but we got to run around a little bit at the end. We did, and we now have our base. So we now understand what our CSS property is. It's just a name and a value, and we've learned about a few of them just to make text look nice. So there are lots more. And we're, those properties allow us to do all sorts of things. And so we're going to start learning about those. We've learned about this concept that we want to apply these styles to a specific tag. And we get to be way more specific. So right now we can just say that every paragraph looks like this and every header looks like this. But you're not going to want to say every header. You're going to want to start differentiating between different types of headers. So the selector is going to become more powerful. We're going to learn how to be really sort of like a scalpel into our page and affect just that paragraph over there rather than every single paragraph ever. Cool. That's where the selectors come in. And then we got to learn about the box model so that we can start picking up chunks of text and putting them next to each other and that kind of thing. Yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> yes, so that's where, that is where we are going. But as I say, we're building it up slowly. All right. I'm looking forward to it, Bart. This is fun. We're, get, we're getting there. Excellent. Okay, well, until next time, happy computing. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is an unsponsored show, so if you like what you hear, you can help support the show by using the Amazon affiliate link over on podfeed.com. 
Heck, put a review up in iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast too. I love feedback, so please do write to me at allison at podfeet.com and join in the conversation with other listeners in our Google Plus community at podfeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.